to start by saying this tonight. That I think innately in all of us, there is this idea that there's something else going on in our world. That there's, there's something more to this world than just the run-of-the-mill life that we go through. And I, and, and, and I think if we're honest, like lots of people would agree with that. Maybe we can't label it. Maybe we can't put our finger on it. But we probably deep down know that there's something else going on in this world, something bigger than us that exists and is taking place and perhaps has a hand in what is taking place here in our world. So, so I don't know if you've ever been out camping and you've, and you've led out a night in the open and you've looked up and you've seen the stars. And as you lie there, you're like, I don't know how many stars there are, billions of stars in the sky. And you lie there, you're like, this, this is amazing. This is glorious. You're like, there must be, like, there's something more to this. You see the animals, you see people, the, the, the innate beauty and, and incredible nature of some people. And you're like, there's, there's something more going on in this world. Or perhaps you see it in TV, you know, the kind of TV that we watch. Things like Stranger Things, who's excited for the new series coming out? <laughs> no one. Okay, a couple of you, a couple of you. Strange things, this idea where there's another reality taking place at the same time as ours, and you can kind of cross between. If you're of an, of an older ilk, maybe the Matrix or, I don't know, Harry Potter, that kind of idea, there's something going on else alongside our world. We see it in suffering, don't we? People who have no faith at all, who would class themselves top-notch atheists, when they suffer... They might pray. Or when someone dies, people say things like, oh, they're in a better place, don't they? We intrinsically know within us that there's something more to life. There's something else going on. And if you're a Christian, maybe you get glimpses of this as you, as you worship. Don't just be singing like in all of life in, in your worship. You get glimpses of this when, like, when it seems like heaven and earth collide. And maybe it is a moment when you're singing or you're at the Christian conference or you're with a brother and sister who you care about deeply and you're having great conversation about, about faith. And you're like, this is incredible. God is moving. He's doing something brilliant and spectacular here. And you, and you feel it and you know it. And sometimes you get just little glimpses of that when heaven and earth collide. And it's beautiful. Well, we're going through this series in Revelation, and uh, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, this is, this is number three, week three, and we're in chapters four and five that Estelle read to us today. We saw back in chapter one that Revelation is three things. Can you remember those three things? <laughs> Who can remember number one? Revelation is a, a letter. Okay, good. A letter is written to specific people at specific times. And we get to overhear what God was saying to them and learn things for ourselves. Number two, Revelation is a, is a P, prophecy. Fantastic. That is God's word given through John to his people. It's God's word so we can trust it. He knows because he's outside of time and space. And he can speak in and tell us exactly what's going on and how it works. And, and, and as we go through, we need to remember that Revelation isn't linear. So it's not this happens, then that, then this, then that. Instead, it's lots of different perspectives on similar things. And then the third thing, so it's a letter, it's a prophecy. What's number three? Revelation is a, an 
apocalypse, apocalypse, which is the other word for revelation, apocalypsis. And that is simply something that is hidden being revealed, made clear. And so apocalyptic writing was, was really well known to the people who would have been reading this 2,000 years ago. But for us, it's a, bit, it's a bit confusing. And so in apocalyptic writing, there's lots of imagery that we have to figure out and understand that they would have been used to, but that we've got to work really hard at to get and to understand. And so last week, we saw the seven letters to the seven churches, didn't we? But this week, we move on from the letter section of Revelation, and the rest of it is mostly all apocalypse. So we're going to start getting these images, and I'm sure as Estelle read it to us, you were like, oh, there's some interesting things in there. This is light compared to what is to come, so brace yourself. The rest is apocalypse, so we're going we're to have to work hard and figure out the imagery. The great thing is the Old Testament gives us lots of clues for understanding Revelation, so we're going to spend some time there as well. The big problem that God's people have been facing ever since Genesis 3 is this, banishment from God. Remember Genesis 1 and 2, life is beautiful and perfect and God and people together and creation lovely. And God cast them out of the Garden of Eden, perfection. And remember, what does he do? He places some angels with some flaming swords flashing back and forth to stop people from entering Eden. You can't come in anymore. You're out. That's it. You're removed. And and all through the Old Testament, you see this theme come up time and time again. But there's there's this detachment from people and God. You can't come near to God. You can't enter in. You can't understand fully because there's that separation going on. And yet Revelation 4 here starts with this beautiful phrase. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. If you shut your Bible, open it back up again so that, so that you can know that this is God's word. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard, had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here! And I will show you what must soon take place after this. You see, all through the scriptures, there's this story of banishment being out, away, far. But here, God gives us an open door and invites us in. He says, come and see. Come and see what it's like behind the scenes. I'm going to show you what it's like. I'm going to reveal to you what that other reality is that you get some sense of inside of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spell it out for you. Remember, we're using the, the image of being, a, being at a conference or something, and you're in the audience, and God calls you out, and he, and he invites you behind the scenes, and he shows you the TV screens and the cable, and he's like, this is how it works. You get to see from behind the scenes, and it's beautiful. And so let's whiz through this. What, what do we see as we go through the doors? God invites us in. What do we see? What do we hear? As John tells us, we see a throne. And here's where I want to say something right off the bat. This throne is in the center. Heaven is not all about you or me. And it's all about God. And as we build up this picture, as we go through, we're going to see this. 
this place is all about God because he is at the center on his throne. And, and there's this imagery as we go through. Let's, let's race through some of them. So verse 3, verse 3. And, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. In the Old Testament, precious stones were on the priest's garments and they were embedded in the temple as, as a show of splendor and majesty. Here, this is what God is like. Again, verse 3, halfway through. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. You know the story of Noah? Maybe you don't. Long story short, God sent a rainbow, and it, and it reminds them that he keeps his promises. Here, God is the promise-keeping God. Then you get thunder and lightning in verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. As you go through the Old Testament, when you get thunder and lightning, it's often a sign of God's holiness. And again, that, 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 that kind of demands fear and, and respect and reverence to God. This is, this is powerful and to be revered. And then, and then you've got this sea of glass in verse 6. And also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. To the Jews, the raging seas was a sign of chaos and, and disaster and ruin. And here there's this flat, still, peaceful sea with God on his throne at the center in charge of it all. Do you see, as we go back to the Old Testament, we can, we can learn and understand what these images mean. And the people of the day would have been experts at it. And if you want to be an expert at it, get to know your Old Testament. Spend time rummaging through it and finding out what all these images mean. And then around the throne, as we take a step back, we see... We see a a number of things. First of all, we see these 24 elders. Did you see that? 24 is a really important number. 24 divided by 2 is 12. 12 plus 12. Now, that's really important. How many uh, tribes of Israel were there in the Old Testament? Okay, how many apostles were there in the New Testament? Okay, interesting. Interesting. Bear that in mind. Keep that in mind. I'm going to flip through. You don't have to turn. I'm going to flip forwards to Revelation 21. I'm going to read verses 12 to 14. Have a listen to this. This is talking about the New Jerusalem. It says, It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You see, all through we get these 12 and 12, representing God's people in the Old Testament and God's people in the New Testament. Here is all of God's people together, and, and, and they're on little thrones around the throne. They're wearing crowns, and they're dressed in white robes. And then as well as these elders, these 24 elders, we've got, we've got these four living creatures. Did you see those? They're a bit weird because they've got a lot of eyes everywhere. Just eyes all over them. They can see a lot. Four living creatures. Now, four is a number used in Revelation that often represents all creation. So back in the day, you've got things like the four corners of the earth, right? You know, the four winds, north, east, west, south. Four represents kind of the whole of creation, everything. And here we've got these four different living creatures. A lion, which is courageous. 
a bull which is mighty and strong, a man, the wisest creature, and an eagle, the swiftest. All of creation here is mapped out. So, so we've got the throne. We've got God in the center. Splendor, covenant-making, promise-keeping, holy, causing fear, no more chaos. God's in control. We've got around the throne these 24 elders, all of God's people, and then we've got these four living creatures with loads of eyes representing all of creation. Do you see, this is what creation is meant to be like. This here is what we're designed for, is what we're, we're made for. God on his throne People ruling under his authority, ruling the world beautifully, lovingly, gently. Creation restored all together. It's beautiful. It's glorious, isn't it? It's a glimpse of perfection here. And what are they all doing with their time? It's all about praise, isn't it? Look at verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy. That is like special or set apart. Is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. They praise him. And verse 11 Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is a beautiful, perfect scene, isn't it? It's what creation is meant to be. And here we get to glimpse it. God tells us this is what it's like. And this isn't just a future reality, but something that's true right now. God right now is on his throne. This is true. And as we, as we go through life, we get sometimes these crossover moments where we get to experience life the way God intends. Life like it was in Eden. Life like it is here. Just a little bit, just, just like a little taste, like the tiniest, the tiniest taste. The moments when you're, when, you're, when, when you're singing and you're like, oh, this is amazing, I just believe these truths. This, or the moments when you're in the scriptures and you're reading, you're getting to grips with it and you're like, this is, this is incredible, God, you're amazing. Or when you're meeting with a brother and sister and you're having coffee and you're sharing faith deep and true. And you're like, this is beautiful. You get glimpses of this here in this life. We don't get it fully, and it's mucked up a lot. But we get to experience it a little bit, just a little. And this is what we're made for. This is the life that God would have us enjoy, but we know we've been banished. God says, come on in. Let me show you what it's like. Let me show you this Reality that exists right now. We're created to worship. We're created for more than just the -the run-of-the-mill life stuff. This reality 
changes our reality. It gives you peace. Because you know that you're, you're not the end of this reality. There's something bigger than you. Who's controlling for good. Who's gentle and kind and gracious. And spectacular and incredible and beautiful. It gives you joy. Because you know that this life is not all there is. That one day suffering will have an end. Death will not be the end. Sin and struggles will one day be eradicated. And this will be the only reality. And it gives you praise. That you want to shout out alongside all God's people, here, the elders and, and the, the living creatures. You want to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You, you want to say, you're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor power. She created all things and by your will they're created and have their being. You, you want to join in on that. And so the question is like, what? because we, we experience a mishmash, don't we? We don't experience this now. We miss this, this kind of ultimate reality that is taking place. And I think there's two ways that we do this. Number one, we, we ignore it. That is, like an ostrich supposedly does, bury, it, bury its head in the sand and kind of get on with life. Do ostriches actually do that? They do. Anya's nodding with authority, so I trust him. There's so much else to be distracted with in life, and there's so many things to do and people to see and things to achieve and careers to build and relationships to grow. and so much to do, you know. And, and so we just kind of ignore it. This is the reality. This is it. This is, this is all I've got. But the other way, which I think is even more potent, is we don't ignore it, but instead we, we rival it. That is, God is here on his throne, and around them are the people, and they're on, they're on little thrones. But don't we just have a tendency in our own lives to to try and set up our own reality against God's reality here. To build our own little tiny kingdom that we think is so grand and big and exciting and extravagant, but when God looks down, it's, it's like nothing. And, and whatever that is in you, like you know your heart, whether that's at the moment, your, your academic success in your exams or your career or a particular relationship or your wealth building or whatever it is. You know, you know the ways in your life that you're most tempted to, to kind of sit on the throne, rival this reality. And the thing is, when, when we try it, it doesn't always go to plan, does it? Or if anything, it doesn't leave us feeling this kind of awe and wonder and like fulfillment as we're, as we're meant to be doing what we're meant to be doing. Because if we're honest, we're terrible at being God. Our thrones don't match up. They're a weaker, smaller, less fantastic version of God's. And it's tiring. We wear ourselves down. Ultimately, it's, it's against God because we can't be God. What happens when it doesn't work? What happens when it doesn't bring us joy or fulfillment or fullness? Then we find comfort somewhere else. Or we take our praise and we, we put it on something else. I don't know, we, we kind of retreat and we 
comfort ourselves. I don't know, with whatever it is, whether it's alcohol or overeating or porn or having an affair or like whatever it is. When our kingdoms don't work and don't stack up to what we think they should because of the expectations that we place on ourselves, we go elsewhere to find what we're looking for. But we cannot ultimately find it in those things. But there is some good news here. Because if you're weary, if you're, if you're tired of trying to build up your, your tiny little kingdom, and like, I don't know, I, I feel this for myself, I'm sure you do as well. If you're tired of that, then I want you to look at these verses. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Here we go. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. No one can open the scroll. This scroll here, as, as you go through, back through the, the Old Testament and as you read forwards in Revelation, you see it's, it's the unfolding of God's plan through, through, through history. You see his salvation and his judgment coming to fruition. It's what's going to happen. It's where everything's going. It's where everything's headed. And no one can open it. None of us can, can control the future or what's going to happen. We can't do it. We can't open it. No one in heaven and on earth can open it. We're helpless. And so what does John, the writer of Revelation, do? He, he weeps and weeps. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or even look inside. And then, verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. You and me, we cannot open this scroll. We cannot dictate the future. We cannot unfold God's story of salvation and judgment. And so John weeps. And then the lion steps in. He says he, he, says he, he, he hears about a lion. The elder says to him, do not weep. The lion, see the lion, the tribe of Judah, 
This was a, this was a title that, that shows Jesus is the, the promised king from of old, all through the Old Testament. The root of David, the one who is from the line of David, he's triumphed. And then John looks and he sees a lamb, the reality, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne with the four living creatures and the elders all around him. If you're feeling worn down and burdened by trying to build up your kingdom, it not bringing you fulfillment or it failing or whatever, if you're feeling weary from that, that's because we cannot open this scroll ourselves. And yet the lamb When I was preaching um, a couple of years ago at a school carol service, their Christmas service, um, we were going through the book of Matthew, Matthew 2 we were doing, which is like the Christmas story, you know, the standard Mary, Jesus, etc. And um, as part of it, I got some of the kids up to open up some presents. And um, some of you might remember this, maybe some of the teenagers. Um, I got them to open up some presents, and inside were some, uh, some misconceptions, I guess, of what we think of Jesus. So, so one of the kids opened up one of the presents, and inside was a little turkey hat. They put the turkey hat on. That was to kind of show, you know, that like Jesus is a once a year only kind of thing because you only eat turkey at Christmas because it's dry and horrible. And then the second kid came up and, and opened the second present, and, and there was this teddy bear, like cute and cuddly baby Jesus in the manger, quaint and mild. And, oh, no. and we're like, here, this is not. Meek and mild baby Jesus, is it? This is far from it. This is, this is like, this is bloody, conquering King Jesus who has taken this scroll that's going to unfold God's judgment and salvation. This, this is not like, ah, oh, baby Jesus. No, this is like, phew. do you get this? This is, this is big. This is a huge reality that's taking place right now. He's the one who can open the scroll. And as we go through next week onwards, you'll see at chapter 6, the title is The Seals. We get to watch this scroll being opened as we go through the rest of Revelation. And we get to look in, God invites us in to see and hear exactly what God has in store. Salvation for his people and judgment for those who stand against him. It's going to be really clear as we go through. And what's the result? As Jesus takes this scroll... More of what we've just heard, isn't it? More praise, more worship. You've got tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of angels circling the throne, and you've got the living creatures, and you've got the elders, and in a loud voice, they're all saying together in unison, verse 12, it's going to be mega loud, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. It's like they can't get enough words out there for how praiseworthy Jesus is, the lamb who was slain, to buy back his people who are there with him. You're made for something more. Not just the -the run-of-the-mill life. This, then this, then this. This is the reality you're called to. And one day it will be true, but now you get tastes of this. And so what is our response to this? believe it. I believe this is true, that this is reality right now. I confess, maybe, for wandering away and ultimately worship, right? Praise. 
when, when we're talking about worship, we're not just talking about Anya and Suzanne with their guitar and keyboards and like us singing. That is part of worship. Worship is all of, all of a Christian life that you've given over to God. And worship is our, is our proactive adoration in all of life, whatever way that is, not just singing, in all of life. That's a response that we can take, isn't it? So if you want, if you want a, good, a, good, a good friendship, if you want your friendship to be the way God wants, if you want your marriage to work the way God wants, if you want your business to work the way God wants, if, if you want to know how to spend your money in the way that God wants, if you want to know how to study for exams in the way that God wants, then get your gaze off of yourself and lift it up to this throne. Because that is where the ultimate reality lies. Get your worship on that throne and everything else second to that. And, and, and I love this. At the end of verse, uh, chapter 4, um, verse 10, that the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne. And chapter 5, verse 14, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. They surrender. They get the crown off their head and they lay it down before King Jesus. And they get down on their knees and they submit, they surrender. They're like, this it's about you, it's not about me. I worship you, your throne, your kingdom. And so I want to speak to two types of people, two groups of people, and then we're done. Number one, you're a Christian. And, and perhaps for you, you know that your worship is elsewhere at the moment. Whatever it is, you know. That's between you and God. I want to remind you that you're made for something more. You're made for this. And maybe you need to come before God tonight and and, and, and confess, say, God, I've, <laughs> I've been trying to build up my own kingdom. And, and don't get me wrong, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with like running a business and having good friendships and all those kind of things. But I've been making it my everything. And, and I'm sorry, I'm coming back. And remember the call from last week and the the letters to the seven churches to repent, to repent, to repent. Repent's not a dirty word. It's, not, it's coming back to life, to this true reality. And, and maybe you need to get specific with God. Maybe you need to do some, you know, calling it out to him. Like I'm sure the person next to you would love to pray with you afterwards. I'd love to pray with you if, if that's you. But maybe for the second group of people, you're, you're here tonight and, you, and you've never really thought about these things at this level before. Like you watch Stranger Things and you're like, oh, that's interesting. But this reality, like this, this is new. This, you've never said yes to Jesus before. And to offer him with him as king, the king who was slain, who shed his blood so that you could be brought back for God, people from every tribe and language and people and nation, I'm pretty sure that includes you. Maybe you've been ignoring this gut feeling that you've been having for too long. So what do you do? You simply say, forgive me. 
God, I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for just ignoring you. And and I'm coming back. I can't be king. I I want you to be king. So right now I come to you and I say, this is me, this is what I want. I want you to be king. And if that's you, then that's what it looks like to be someone who becomes a Christian. Simple as that. To step into this place. And for all of us, let our response be worship. We bow down like the elders. We take off our crowns. We say, Jesus, you are king. And nothing compares to you. Let's take a moment and maybe you want to talk to God for yourself. Like, be real with him. Tell him where you're at. Tell him what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Band, why don't you come up? And then I'll pray for us and we can sing. Father, we praise you for even just inviting us in to see this glorious image. And it is spectacular. And we're awestruck. Father, please keep this in us. Keep this moment alive. We know the devil loves to take take away. So Father, please may we remain worshipful. And Father, for those here tonight who have never made that step of bowing the knee to King Jesus, pray that tonight would be the night that they say yes. Please move by your spirit. Open up our hearts to receive your forgiveness.